So you made it through the great blizzard of 2020 in Chilliwack, BC. <laughs> We're in this series called The Now, and it's funny to preach in this series to this particular service. Because it's a series in which we're talking about posture. And to some degree, part of the reason we're talking about posture is because of this service, this fourth service. Something happened inside of me in the weeks leading up to Christmas of 2019 in coming here at 1230. And feeling this sense of faith and expectancy and enthusiasm as opposed to a sense of, well, let's just mail it in. It's the fourth of four services. And it got me thinking a lot about posture. And I know you're going to hear me say that again and again and again in this series. Posture, posture, posture. Because I really truly believe that if you open up the Bible and look real carefully, what you're going to find is that our posture will determine the degree to which God's power plays out in our lives. This year and in the years to come. It's a pretty big deal because I have people come to me and say, Man, 2020 is going to be a, a big year for Southside Church because you're building a building. That's almost right. But it doesn't really catch the essence of who Southside is. So let, let, let me kind of talk about that building. We're opening up a building in 2020, but in reality what we're doing is we're creating a foundation in 2020. Spiritually speaking, that building will be a foundation. And to say this, to stand up here today and say to you, uh, we're opening up a building and therefore we're going to bring more help, more hope, and more home to this city would be ridiculous. It would be as ridiculous as me standing up here today and saying, man, something special happens on Sundays when God's people get together. Not necessarily. That all depends on our posture. And the degree to which this building that opens up in 2020 brings help, hope, and home to this city will all depend on our posture. So what we're really building is we're building a foundation. The Bible re refers to you and to me as living stones, living stones. We're the stones that will be built to bring help and hope and home to the city. And the degree to which we bring it will be determined by our posture. Our posture will impact the way God's power plays out in our lives. And the illustration I gave you last week, I want to give you again today, because I really want us to kind of take hold of it for this year and beyond. You know, you get the story of David and Goliath, and here's David, the 17-year-old shepherd kid, and, and he's facing off against a giant named Goliath, and, and David slings the stone, you know, and, 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 and people say, well, God guided that stone directly to where it had to go to take out Goliath, and I believe it, and that's true, but let's never forget, please, that David started that day out with a posture of faith. In other words, he took his shot in faith. And that's how I want to live my life, in a posture of faith. Because it's all well and good for me to stand up here and say, hey, hey, your life is a sermon, so preach it. Your life is a song, so sing it. Your life is a race, so run it. God placed you on this planet to tell a great story, so tell it. But here's the truth, the honest truth. The sermon you were meant to preach, you can't preach on your own. The song that you were meant to sing, you can't sing on your own. The race that you were meant to run, you can't run on your own. The, the story that you were placed on this planet to tell, you can't tell it on your own. 
You need God's help. You need the right posture. So this year, this is what I was thinking. I was thinking we're gonna reject fear and take hold of faith. We're gonna reject distraction and take hold of desperation. We're gonna reject apathy and take hold of enthusiasm. We're gonna reject haughtiness and take hold of humility. Can I tell you something kind of crazy? I've been up here before and I've said, man, years and years and years ago in the, in the middle of the night, in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer, Alberta, my life changed. I got to the end of myself and I cried out to God. I said, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. I need him as much today as I needed him that day. I'm as desperate for him today as I was desperate for him that day. The prophet Jeremiah said, God's mercies are new every morning. Thank goodness. Because I need him today in a way that I didn't need him yesterday. I'm going to need him tomorrow in a way that I didn't need him today. His mercies are new. I got a song to sing and I can't sing it on my own. I got a sermon to preach and I can't preach it on my own. I got a life to live and I can't live it on my own. I got a story to tell, I can't tell it on my own. We're talking about posture. And so I asked the band to stay up here because I've actually uh, <clears throat> written a song and an interpretive dance that I'd like to perform for you at this point of the service. It's going to be awesome. Just let me limber up. No. Uh, Uh, where was I? Oh yeah, the song. So the band, the band is going to play a song, and, and, and the song is a prayer posture. The song is a prayer posture. It's called Waymaker. And I thought about it over and over and over again this week. I kept thinking about this. There's some of us in our lives right now, and we would look and we say, "There's no way. Hey, there's no. There's no way. There's no way. There's no way that I can." I can tell the story that I was meant to tell. There's no way that I can run the race that I was meant to run. There's no way. You're probably right. But he's the way. And he'll show you a way where there seems to be no way. And one more thing before I ask the band to, uh, to sing. Maybe you're walking in today for the first time or for the first time in a really long time and you're like, well, like I don't know about the, all this posture stuff, Mike. Like, I, I'm just kind of checking things out. I'm just kind of figuring out this whole God thing. Can I talk about your posture for a second? Because the fact that you're here shows me something incredibly important about your posture. I know this about you right away. You are a truth seeker. You're a truth seeker. And if you're walking in today for the first time or for the first time in a long time and you got a bunch of questions, can I give you some advice on posture today? How about this? How about you say to God today, and if you're real, show me. He will. He already has been, I bet. That there's a hope deep down inside of you that's starting to kind of bubble up and it's this thought that maybe there really is more to my past, my present, my future, in my eternity, maybe there is more hope. Maybe there is more joy. Maybe there is more strength. And here's the truth there is. His name is Jesus. So the band's going to play a song. It's a prayer, a posture. While they sing, you can stand. You can sing along. You can sit. You can reflect whatever you want to do. And uh, I'll be right back.
Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that you've given us these stories to tell with our lives. And that even when there doesn't seem to be a way, you are the way. That you give us strength when we're weak, rest when we're exhausted, peace when we're stressed. And that even in days and months and years that we look back and we think that we had given up on you, you had never once, you never will give up on us. We love you. In your name. Amen. Can we thank the band for being great? So we've been in this, uh, we've been looking at this Old Testament life story. A guy by the name of Samuel lived just over 3,000 years ago. Now, as I say that, um, if you are here for the first time or for the first time in a long time and you're thinking, oh wait, so like we've been doing this guy's life story and I needed to be here the whole time, it won't make sense. No, that's not true. This sermon will definitely stand alone. It will make perfect sense to you. On the other hand, like if you feel curious or intrigued at all by anything that uh, happens here today or anything I say, please feel free anytime to go back on the website or on podcast. But we are nearing the end of this study on Samuel. I know that because of the first three words of the verse I'm gonna read you today. Are you ready for it? Here it is. Now Samuel died. Okay, so that's a good sign that we're nearing the end of the story of Samuel. Now Samuel died. However, it's not the absolute end. Samuel appears one more time in the Bible, and I will tell you what, it is crazy. It is straight out of a horror movie. People say the Bible is boring. No, boring people sometimes read the Bible. The Bible is not boring. Honestly, it's crazy. We're gonna talk about it over the next few weeks. Do not miss it. But it is nearing a conclusion because Samuel died. And then look at this. All Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David rose. All Israel assembled and they mourned for Samuel. How annoying is that? It's so annoying. They never honored Samuel when he was alive. They never respected Samuel when he was alive. They never really listened to Samuel when he was alive, but now he's dead, and so they are all mourning him. You ever seen that in our culture? Does it sometimes feel uh, to you that the only time we have anything nice to say about anybody is at their funeral? The only time that we honor people who should maybe be honored is at their funeral. The only time we listen or respect people is sometimes at their funeral. And it got me thinking about our chronological posture. Our chronological posture posture. Remember last week we were talking about like our posture amongst people, that we got to kind of make a decision when, when it comes to people. We can either look around and we can compare ourselves and get jealous, or we can look up and see that there's a heavenly father who has given us every moment, every opportunity, every gift, every talent, and we can live these lives that say thank you, <laughs> thank you to him for everything that he's given to us. Well, today I want to talk about chronological posture. What's our chronological posture? Well, if you're a little bit older, I would say it to you this way. In the words of Tom Cochran, if you're a bit younger, I might say it this way. In the words of Rascal Flatts, okay? And if you're really young, I would say, there is this old song, you've never heard it. It's called Life is a Highway, okay? That's our chronological posture. Life is a highway. So you look in the rearview mirror, at where you've been. You keep your hands on 10 and two to chart your course, and then you look ahead 
to shape your destiny. Let me, let me put it this way instead. We learn from the past, we live in the present, and we shape the future. You say, well, that's pretty obvious, Mike. Like, wow, that's not really rocket science. I know, but it kind of is. Because there's a lot of people that get this wrong. There's been times in your life when you've got this wrong. You know anybody who shapes the past? I bet you do. We call them revisionist historians. Like, you were at a place with them two weeks ago, and that thing happened, okay? You were there. You were with them. And now you're hearing them tell the story about what happened, and you're starting to wonder, was I even there? Because that's not what, it ha- what happened at all. They shape the past. It's hard sometimes to resolve conflict with people like that because the past is always changing. There's some people who learn in the present. Instead of learning from the past, they learn in the present. You know what the Bible calls people like that? It calls them fools. Because they learn every single lesson the hard way. And there's others who live in the future. For some, they live in the future just worried about, man, what's the bad thing that's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next month? Or, or others that kind of live the opposite way by living in the future. They say, um, man, like, when I get there, when I get there, you know what, there, there. I, when I get there, man, then I'm going to be happy. Then I'm going to be content. Then I'm going to start making a difference. Then I'm going to start really living when I get there. And the problem with people like that is they never really seem to reach the elusive there. So we've got to learn from the past. We've got to live in the present. And, and we've got to shape the future. Learn from the past. People will say, man, you can't obsess over the past. That's true. They say, man, you, you can't get anywhere in life if you're looking out the back window of your pickup truck. Brings up a story. My best buddy, Grant King, and me, took his pickup truck for a spin when he was 13 years old. Uh, when Grant was just a little guy, four, maybe five years old, his dad died. And so he was raised by his mom, and he had one older sister. That's it. But he had a few uncles who would stop by and uh, try to provide a bit of a, like a male role model to Grant as he was growing up. And one uncle in particular felt like it was really important for a young man to learn how to fix vehicles. You know, work on, work on trucks and stuff, right? And he wasn't learning much of that from his mom and his older sister, okay? So, so this, this one particular uncle, he decided the way he was going to teach Grant to really work on vehicles is when Grant was 11, he dropped off a dilapidated, broke-down, like, junky Jeep J2000. Like, just ready to fall apart. And at the same time he did that, he gave Grant this big, thick book. I never read it myself, but I think it was something like, this is before Google and YouTube, believe it or not. I think the book was, like, basically how to fix up a Jeep J2000. So Grant got that when he was 11 years old, and he started working on it. Like, step by step, he started chipping away at this thing. His uncle said, look, if you need to bring it into a shop, that's fine. I'll do that for you, but I will not bring it in until you, Grant, have done everything you can do. Okay, I'm not going to send it to the shop to have them do anything that you can't do. So Grant just kept chipping away and chipping away. And by the time we were 13 years old, that junky, broke down, piece of bad shape vehicle, J2000, this is what it looked like when we were 13. That's sweet, right? That's a nice truck. So anyways, we're 13 years old, and Grant says, let's take it for a spin. And I say, 
okay, that's an awesome idea, right? And uh, to tell the truth, it wasn't really incredibly unusual growing up in the country in Alberta uh, for us to be driving vehicles. Parents would sometimes let you drive along the dirt road or around the, around the acreage, but this was kind of a unique situation because uh, Grant's mom and sister were gone, so it was just us. I'm gonna take it for a spin. Yes, I really do. Okay, so we jump into the J2000. Grant fires it up. I mean, it just, oh, it sounded so cool. It just rumbled, you know? And uh, so he sticks it in gear. We're gonna back out of his mom's carport, okay? And so we both are turning around, looking out the back window while Grant's ready to uh, back out. He's got it in gear. He pops the clutch, except he didn't have it in reverse. He had it in second, okay? So we lurch forward and put a massive hole in the front of Grant's mom's carport. Okay, and and, and so when I tell that story, some will say, that's what I mean, Mike. That's exactly what I mean. When you live your life staring backwards, you will never get to where you need to be. And I would say to some degree, you are right. You can't live in the past. You can't obsess over the past, but you had better, you had better learn from it. To paraphrase an old quote, I would put it this way. um, Those who do not learn from the past are destined to repeat the bad and forget the good. Those who do not learn from the past are destined to repeat the bad and forget the good. Gotta learn from the past. I say that because you and me, we live in a generational echo chamber. We, 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 we live in, a, in an echo chamber in Canada in 2020. Let me give you some illustrations. Back in the day, that's what old people always say, back, back in the day, if I wanted to listen to my favorite song, do you know how I did that? I would turn on the radio. Yeah, the radio. The, the radio. And I would have to sit there and wait for the DJ to play my favorite song. But while I was waiting for him to play my favorite song, you know what I had to do? Listen to your dumb favorite song and your stupid favorite song and your favorite song. I didn't necessarily like them, but I knew your favorite song because I had to listen to it. Not today. Oh, no. I will listen to what I want to listen to anytime I want to listen to it. Let's go a little bit deeper. Back in the day, that's what old people always say. Back in the day when I wanted to find out uh, what was going on around the world, like news and current events, you know how I would find out? I would turn on my television, yeah, yeah, and I would turn to channel six, which was CBC, or Channel 8, which was CTV. And I would watch the anchor tell me about what was happening in the world that day. Not anymore. No, not anymore. If politically speaking, I'm very left-wing, I will listen to a left-wing news show or watch a left-wing news. If I'm very right-wing, I will listen to what right-wing people have to say about the news. It's an echo chamber. In other words, listen, listen, this is really important. I become incredibly well-versed in what I already know without ever really learning anything new. And I see it play out in the generations too. The youngest generation in the world today is known as Generation Z. Generation Z. How many people here born 1997 or later? Hands up. 1997 or later, generation, keep your hands up, keep them up nice and high, yeah, that's good. Wow, lots. You know what we say about you behind your back? 
<laughs> I just set you up, right? Here's what we say about you behind your back. Uh, Generation Z, they're so scared. They're so anxious. You know what happens if you call, you know, like make a phone call to someone in Generation Z? You know what they do? They don't, do they? What do they do instead? Yes, they text you back. That's exactly right. And their text says, what is up? And you're like, that's about how long it takes me to text, actually. What? And it's like, I'll tell you what's up. I called you because I wanted to talk to you. They're so scared. Generation Z, what a joke. What a joke. Next youngest generation, Generation Y, the millennials. Born 1981 to 1996. Hands up if that's you. This is, this, is what, this is what we say about you behind your back. Okay? Millennials. What a joke. They're the most entitled generation. You know what they grew up? They grew up getting participation trophies. Like they finished last in the race and we give them a trophy. Way to go! You showed up! I think we should all celebrate because they showed up. What a joke. Next oldest generation, Generation X. The Baby Busters. Born 1965 to 1980. 1965 to 1980. My hands up. Yeah, yeah. You know what people say about you behind your back? We get it. Hey, baby buster, we get it. We know what you're against. We know what you criticize. We get it. Like, we spend our whole lives listening to everything you're against. All we would like to know from you is one thing. What are you for? What a joke. Generation X. Next older, older, older generation is called the baby boomers. Born 1946 to 64. Boomers? You know what? I want to applaud the boomers. You know what we say about you behind your back? Two words. Okay, boomer. Okay, boomer, we get it. You walked uphill both ways through two feet of snow to school. Okay, boomer. So we kind of just stick to our own, you know, our own generation, generational echo chamber. It's weird though because I've been in leadership for decades and I've met people from all generations. Kurt and I have six kids that span two generations. I said that kind of weird, two generations. Um, and this is what I found. Can I, can I tell you something different about every one of those generations? So let's talk about Generation Z, the post-millennials. I noticed something about you guys. You're the kindest generation. It's actually pretty incredible. Like when you say you care, you actually, I know it sounds crazy, you actually mean it. And, and, and I know something about millennials. You're not going to believe this. If you're not a millennial, you're, you're actually not going to believe this. Do you know that millennials are the first generation in the history of our nation that actually, listen, they actually care more about making a difference than making a living? That's insane. Generation X, my generation. I know we can be a little cynical and a little critical, but you know why? We just want to get it right. Like we were the ones handing out the participation trophies to millennials, 
And the reason why is because we just wanted to try the best we could to bring an environment of love and encouragement. Boomers. Okay, boomer. Oh, you want to learn a little bit about determination and hard work and perseverance? You want to talk about the grind? Talk to a boomer. Except we won't because we live in an echo chamber generation. See, and it's not really the way that it should be. Not if we're actually gonna learn from the past. It's, it's really cool because in the first sermon that was ever preached in the New Testament church, Peter stands up in Jerusalem in the, on the day of Pentecost and he quotes the prophet Joel, says this. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, okay? Specifically, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men and women will see visions. Your old men and women will dream dreams. I see three generations there. I think we've got to step out of the echo chamber and, and learn from the past. And so in order to do that, I want to encourage you. I kind of want to give you an assignment that I gave to the staff in 2020. I think we need to foster three kinds of relationships in our lives. I think we need to uh, foster, uh, pursue relationships with people who are beyond us, beside us, and behind us. If we're going to learn from the past and if we're going to help other people learn from the past, I think we need to develop relationships with people who are beyond us, beside us, and behind us. So find some people in, in your life that are older than you are. Or maybe they've spent more years doing whatever it is that you aspire to do. Talk to them. I was thinking this week, how cool would it be if there was a, a small group full of millennials, like 31-year-olds, <clears throat> and they invited a couple boomers to join their group? Or maybe they invited a, a, a boomer or two just to come in for one night and tell their story. Wouldn't that be cool? And foster relationships with people beside you. That is important, you know? People who can empathize with you, people who are kind of living the same life you are in some ways and can pray for you and encourage you and, and walk that walk with you. And also, people behind you. Here we are in the great blizzard of 2020 here in Chilliwack. You know what's crazy? Here, here on the day of the great blizzard of 2020 in Chilliwack, uh, 20 high school and middle school kids will be volunteering today at Southside Kids to look after our sons and our daughters. See, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. You say, well, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I have to offer. I'm just 21 years old. Well, I'll tell you a couple things you know if you're 21. You know what it's like to be 20. I'll tell you a couple more things. I'll bet you if you thought really long and hard, you, you could think of one thing that you did in your past that you're glad you did and you would do it the same again. And I'll bet you that if you thought real hard, you could think of some things that you did that you kind of, oh, you'd change them if you could. See, I, th I, I think if we don't learn from the past, if we don't step out from this uh, generational echo chamber, we're destined to repeat the bad and forget the good. I could talk on and on and on about that. But let me put it this way. It's really important this year that you don't forget in the darkness what God showed you in the light. 
Let me say it again. It's really important this year that you don't forget in the darkness what God showed in the light. So David slings the stone. Bang. Takes out Goliath, right? Now, now let's fast forward. And now David's a grandpa. He's not a 17-year-old shepherd punk anymore. He's a grandpa. And I just have this picture of one of his granddaughters coming to him and talking about what she's facing in her life. Maybe she's failing high school algebra. I don't know. Like, who doesn't, right? And so, <clears throat> and, uh, and can you imagine Grandpa David saying, I get it. It's tough. Can I tell you a story, though? There was this time when I was 17 years old, same age you are. And I, I didn't do everything, but I just, I just threw the stone. And I bet you, uh, I, I bet you the giant that you're facing in your life, I bet if you just throw the stone, if you, if, if, if you just have this posture of faith. I think it's real important that we don't forget in the dark because I think we're gonna face some giants this year. I think we're gonna face some adversity this year. I think we're gonna face some darkness this year. And I, I think it's important that we don't forget in the darkness what God has showed in the light. So we step out of the generational echo chamber and we learn from the past. Secondly, uh, we live in the present. Let me put it this way. I think we should try to make today our masterpiece. I think we should try to make today our masterpiece. And I struggle with that at times. There's some people who struggle with that because, man, they're caught up in the past and they can't let go of the regrets and the, and the shame and the pain of the past, so they're living in the past. You know what I struggle with? I struggle with, um, I'm always looking for the next challenge and the next opportunity, the next thing I gotta overcome. And so what I have a tendency to do sometimes in my life is I greatly overestimate what it is I should be able to accomplish today. And I greatly underestimate what I can do. Listen, if I make today my masterpiece, it's incredible what I can do. Not perfect, just my masterpiece. You get what I'm saying? Just the best I can do. It's amazing what I can do if I stack a masterpiece on top of a masterpiece, on top of a masterpiece, on top of a masterpiece, on top of a masterpiece. Just keep stacking them up day by day by day by day. That's the exponential power of the present. Make today your masterpiece. A few months ago, I was doing some math, came up with the idea that I think I've spoke in my life, <coughs> spoke to about 1.6 million people. By now, it's probably more than that. It's probably 1.7 million. And I'm not saying that because you're like, whoa, Mike, way to go. That's a lot of people. I, no, 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 that's not the point. All different kind of venues, classrooms, chapel services, conferences, re retreats, um, basketball practices, sports camps, uh, wedding ceremonies, church services, whatever, 1.7 million people. And throughout the time, as far as I can remember, I really think I've always tried to do my best. I've always tried to make each moment, each day, my masterpiece to the best of my ability, you know? And I think along the way, what I've just tried to do is give people a little bit of hope and a little bit of light to let them know that there's a heavenly father that they have who thought them up, who created them on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose, and he doesn't make mistakes. He loves them so much, in fact, that he sent his son Jesus, died so that they could be forgiven, rose again so they could be saved, and sent his Holy Spirit so they could live a life of power. So how do you, like, how do you speak to 1.7 million people? I don't know, like 30 at a time. Number one, get old, okay, number two. 30 at a time, 100 at a time, 200 at a time, 400, whatever, you know? You just keep, to the best of your ability, just 
stack a masterpiece on a masterpiece on a masterpiece. Stack it day by day by day by day. Um, used to be a teacher, history teacher, phys ed teacher. It's amazing to me how many <coughs> of my former students come to Southside. I don't know why. You know, <laughs> they've heard so much from me in their life, but, but they're gluttons for punishment, I guess, you know, and it's, 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 it's an honor, though. I love it. And over the Christmas season, it's weird because when you, you know, when you teach high school and middle school, when high school ends, life, ha- life happens, and they, you know, they end up all over the world, different places. But around the holiday season, a lot of times, you'll see them again. You know, they'll come, they'll come here to a Southside service, and I'll talk to them. And I remember last Christmas, I talked to one, uh, one guy who I used to teach. And he said something really funny to me. He said, uh, can I encourage you, Manus? That's what a lot of them call me, Manus. Can I encourage you, Manus? I said, yeah, sure. I, I always, he said, man, there's so many times in my life when I faced adversity and I wanted to give up. And I thought to myself, man, if I could make it through Manus's phys ed class, I can get through this. Uh, I was very exuberant in the way that I taught phys ed. I took it quite seriously. But what if that's true? Do you, like, what, 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 what if he's telling the truth? What, what, if, what if there's moments in his life that he was tempted to give up on something important and decided not to because of some wingnut phys ed teacher. Well, that's a big deal. How, how do you do that? Oh, you just stack up day by day by day by day. It's the exponential power of the present. Corinne and I figured out that she's had 35,000 conversations with every one of our kids from the time they were born till the time they were 18 years old. 35,000 conversations. What's that? That's stacking a masterpiece on top of a masterpiece on top of a masterpiece by day, by day, by day. You say, okay, well, which one is it, Mike? Which one is a big deal? 1.7 million or 35,000? Yes. Yes. We, uh, we learn from the past, but we live in the present. I think when you get that, it's going to change the way you look at the world a lot. For sure, it's going to change your relationship with failure and friends. I think for some of us to, to tell the story that God has us to tell, that wants us to tell in 2020, we've got to change the way we view failure. Let's say that you failed 10 seconds ago. Okay, chronologically, what do we refer to 10 seconds ago as? What do we call that? We call that the past. What do we do with the past? We learn. Thank you, Vice Principal Lisa. We learn from the past. Well, if that's true, then you can't lose. No, think about it. If you win, you win. If you lose, you learn. You can't lose. See, I think the road to the story that God wants to tell with your life is probably going to run through some failure, and I think we should get a lot more comfortable with it because you can't lose. If you win, you win. If you lose, you learn. I think we should maybe change the way we look at our friends, too, just a little bit. What do we do with the past? We learn from the past. So I would suggest to you that maybe you take some time over the next couple days and look back at the friends that have stuck by you through thick and thin. The ones who have been loyal. The ones who love you. 
You know what do they say? That the ones who walk in when the world is walking out, those friends. See, I think you need them. Yeah, her. I think you need them. I think if today's going to be your masterpiece, you better be very, very thankful for your good, true old friends. We step out of the generational echo chamber. We learn from the past. We make today our masterpiece. We live in the present. And finally, when we do those things, listen, when we, when we do those things, we will shape the future. I say that to you because I hear a lot of people nowadays in little, a little bit of a panic about our world. A lot of churches even, a lot of Christians even, just saying, man, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And it's like chicken little and the sky is falling. See, I don't think we should panic. In, in fact, if you, if you look around the world sometimes and you think, man, it's just like, it's so rotten. <laughs> you know, what a rotten world we live in. Like, everyone's mad and everyone's yelling and no one's patient and no one loves anybody. If you look around the world and you think it's rotten, Jesus has an idea for you. Jesus has a suggestion for you. Here it is. He said, if you look around the world and you decide, man, it looks really rotten, you know what? You be salt. You be salt. Stop the rot. Because hate can't drive out hate. Only love can do that. Or if you look around the world and you're like, it's so dark, man. It's so dreary. It's so depressing. It's so dismal. It's so black. Jesus has an idea for you. A suggestion. If you look around the world and you go, man, it's really, really dark, you know what you should do? You'd be light. Because darkness can't drive out darkness. Only light can do that. When you learn from the past and you live in the present, you will shape the future. There's a quote from a guy named G. Campbell Morgan, and he's talking about the world at the time that Jesus entered into history. This is what he said. I have no sympathy with people who tell us that today, right now, that these are the darkest days the world has ever seen. The days in which we live are appalling, but they do not compare with conditions in the world in which Jesus came into. Historians talk about the Pax Romana and make much of the fact that there was peace everywhere, the Roman peace. Do not forget that the Roman peace was the result of the fact that the world had been bludgeoned brutally into submission by one central power. He goes on and he starts to talk about the the formation of the early church and how uh, uh, church planters like Peter and Paul would write letters to the churches that they had planted. Okay, he says this, notwithstanding the prevailing conditions, the dominant note of these letters revealing the experience of the church is a note of triumph. The dire and dread facts and conditions are never lost sight of. Indeed, they are there all the way through. The people are seen going out and facing these facts and suffering because of these facts. But we never see them depressed and cast down. We never see them suffering from pessimistic fever. They're always triumphant. That's the glory of Christianity. If ever I am tempted to think that religion is almost dead today, it's when I listen to the wailing of some Christian people. Everything is wrong. Everything is going wrong. Oh, be quiet. Think again. Look again. Judge not by circumstances of the passing hour, but by the infinite things of our gospel and our God. That's exactly what these people did. 
you look around the world today and you go, man, God isn't painted by my numbers. God's not painted by my numbers. It doesn't make sense to me. You know what, you're right. God is not painting by numbers. He has a different idea. He decided to paint a masterpiece instead. So he's writing this story across the pages of history. It's called redemption. You know how he writes it? He writes redemption on you, on you, on you, on you, on you, on you. And through you tells this great story and redemption rolls on. One life, one story at a time. If you step out of the echo chamber and learn from the past and make today your masterpiece and live in the present, oh, I guarantee it. I guarantee it. You will. We will. We will shape the future. So as I close today, why don't we just take a moment of reflection, if you don't mind, if you could bow your head and close your eyes. Well, here we are in the great blizzard of 2020, and I've been talking a lot about the past and the present and the future. But in this moment right now, I'd like to get a little bit more personal. I'd like to talk to you about your past and your present and your future. So first of all, let me tell you about your past. Do you know that you have a heavenly father who thought you up before the foundation of the earth? He created you on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose. He loves you. So much so, in fact, that he sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus died so that you could get past your past. All that regret and all that shame and those sins and that baggage, you don't have to carry them for one more second. You can lay them down. And Jesus rose again so that we can live in power today, tomorrow, and forever through his Holy Spirit. So yes, on this moment, January 12, 2020, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if today is the day you want to accept a Savior named Jesus who wants to change your past, your present, your future, and your eternity with all heads bowed and all eyes closed. Can you just raise your hand because I want to pray for you right now. Nice and high if you don't mind. That's great. It's awesome. You can put your hands down. And if you just raised your hand, I'm going to pray out loud while you just kind of pray in your heart with me. So dear God, thank you that even in the moments that we've given up on you, that you have never, will never give up on us. Thank you that you sent your son, Jesus. Jesus, today I ask you to be my savior. I hand you my past, my baggage, my regrets, and my shame, and I lay him down. Please give me a fresh start. And today, Jesus, I invite you to be my Lord. Give me the strength. Give me the power to follow you one next step at a time. Thank you. And God, for every single person here today, I pray that we would be a humble people, a humble church, a learning church, a listening church, that we would delight in the young and revere the old and learn from the past. And God, I pray that as we make today our masterpiece, to the best of our ability, as we stack one today on another today, on another today, on another today, that you would use us collectively to shape this future, to write a story called redemption all over the pages of this city. Thank you that a bunch of ordinary people are made extraordinary by a faithful God. In your name, amen.
I love you guys a lot and have a great week. Drive, drive safe, Blizzard 2020, and we'll see you next week. Hey, thanks so much for watching today. Why don't you come join us at any of our four Sunday services? We meet at Sardis Secondary School in Chilliwack, British Columbia. And for more info, you can visit southsidelife.com.